Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of, well, it'd be good if I'd have listed where we're at. I got it figured out, man, but I just forgot to put down the uh, text. Make it 1 Kings 18. Now that ain't it. Make it 2 Kings. I'll find it here in a second. Who cares where we're at? Let me just get at it. Come on, Brother Rudy, you like that, don't you? A little spur of the moment right now. We're just going to go ahead and shoot off the cuff. All right, let me find this thing here real quick. I just can't believe I did that. That's amazing. (laughs) All right, let's see this thing here. Ah. There it is. I was already there. Chapter 13, 2 Kings. Let me write that down. That might be a good thing to do. I'll probably never preach it again, so it doesn't matter, but you never know. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't have it written down, because it was just so tiny. We're only going to read two verses. Second Kings chapter 13, we're going to begin reading in verse 20. <clears throat> The Bible says, and Elisha died, and they buried him. The bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. They came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men. They cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. When the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? The Bible's telling us that Elisha, the man of God, died, but another man is dead and he's being taken to his sepulcher, but in the meantime, the Moabites invade the land. There a band of Moabites make their way into the land and the fearful men that were carrying the body said, man, let's forget this. Who cares about his body right now? Let's just get out of here and save our lives. They throw his body into the sepulcher of Elisha and when his body... Meets the bones of Elisha. He revives. And he lives. A resurrection takes place. Elijah, the man of God, not Elisha, but Elijah now, had been spared death. You recall that instead of dying like normal men die, he was taken up in a whirlwind. And now Elisha following 60 years of illustrious supernatural service, faces an illness that would ultimately take his life. All the mighty miracles and all the magnificent messages preached could not spare him from the inevitable. Death is universal. And death is something that every single person will not escape. Even Elisha, the enduring Elisha, was not able to escape it. Elisha, of course, was the attendant to Elijah. Elijah being the great prophet during the reign of Ahab. And you're going to remember, if you'd go back in your Bible lessons, you remember how the prophet challenged the prophets of Baal. How he said, okay, let's go ahead and determine which God or whose God is truly authentic. Which one is really the God? That we ought to be serving. 
And in 1 Kings 18, the Bible tells us in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kidron and slew them there. The Bible tells us that he literally killed the prophets of Baal. None of them remained at that point. This great man, Elijah, ultimately that would be taken up in a whirlwind, was a man of God. The power and the Spirit of God were upon him. And in this particular act of calling down fire from heaven, we read those most wonderful words. The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Oh, that God's people would stand and shout that same declaration today. The Lord, He is the God. Oh, that our churches would preach that same message from the pulpits. The Lord, He is the God. If only our national leaders would embrace and encourage such faith among their constituents. To simply say, the Lord, He is the God. This is the Elijah that Elisha followed. This is the Elijah that Elisha was mentored by, molded by. Elisha followed Elijah to the very end, or should I say to the very beginning of Elijah's eternal life. In 2 Kings 2.11, it came to pass as they went on, still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Isn't that great? Elijah never had to die. It's amazing, isn't it? Elijah had captured the hearts and the minds of both the kings and the people. He was a household name and his rule amidst the nations was well documented. Elijah had an attendant by the name of Elisha once again, who sought a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had. He watched as Elijah did those miracles. He observed his every way, his manners, his customs. He watched how he dealt with people, and he saw the miraculous outcome. And he said, one day, I want a double portion of what Elijah has. One day, I want to have the power of God resting on my life. And Elijah had told him, if you're there when I ascend, or when God takes me, I'll give you a double portion. And sure enough, Elisha was there. And as Elijah made his way into the heavenlies, the mantle of Elijah remained behind. And there Elisha picked up the mantle. And upon picking up the mantle, a double portion was bestowed upon him. In the book of Joshua, we note the Jordan parting as the priest carried the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God, across. Remember there as they went across Jordan to prepare to take the promised land. The priests bore the Ark on their shoulders, and as their feet touched 
the Jordan, it parted and there the people of God walked through on dry ground. Elijah preparing to go before Elisha by a chariot of fire takes the mantle and strikes the Jordan and it separates and he walks through on dry ground. Elisha now holding the mantle of God, having a double portion of the power of Elijah, takes the mantle, strikes Jordan as he returns back and the Jordan separates and he walks through on dry ground. That ark of God represented the very presence and the very power of God himself. And when it crossed through Jordan, that Jordan River, it separated. And may I say that there is no way that we can dispute the fact that God and His hand was upon Elijah as he crossed back through that Jordan and it parted. Elisha now had a double portion. He was guaranteed it, promised it, if indeed he was there when Elijah departed. He was. Elijah is attributed with eight miracles. Elisha is attributed with 16. Elijah, through the power of God, performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. Miracles like raising the Shunammite son from the dead. Multiplying the food so that 100 men could eat their fill. Miracles like Naaman dipping seven times in the Jordan, the muddy Jordan being healed of his leprosy. The axe head that swam to the surface. His servant whose eyes were opened to the heavenly multitudes there on the hillside. As he said, those that are with us are greater than them that are against us. Miracles as that which smote the Syrian band of soldiers with blindness. And miracles of the miracle of the dead man raising literally as his body touched the bones of Elijah. What are we to learn from this miracle of life? What are we to learn? Well, first of all, historically. Again, every passage has three applications. First of all, historically. We note a dead man being cast into a sepulcher of, the sepulcher of Elisha. And when his lifeless body touches the bones of the deceased prophet, he's revived. That is historical. That literally took place. Amen. Josephus even speaks about it in his, his writings. Josephus, being a, a secular historian, writes about this particular situation. In his account, the man that's being thrown into the, the pit or into the sepulcher is a man who had been basically robbed by bad men. This good man now, being killed by the robbers, is thrown into the sepulcher and comes out revived and alive. A historian who is not even Christian writes about this historically. It historically took place. It is as real as yesterday's news headline. Then doctrinally, what does it represent doctrinally or prophetically? It prophetically points to a day when Israel, although dead in this world and overcome by the enemy, will once again be revived in a supernatural resurrection. Those dead men's bones that are spoken of over in the book of Ezekiel are again the same picture seeing revival amongst bones, death, 
Israel being dead within the world, the tombs of the world, is going to be revived once again. They're going to take their place above all the nations of the world, ultimately. Be elevated one more time, even as they were in the days of Solomon in 1000 B.C. And finally, inspirationally. Again, inspirational applications can be multiple. We could have many of them. It certainly points to Christ, don't you think, to some degree. Let's be honest. I mean, Jesus Christ, His death and His burial. Ultimately, He comes safely out of the grave, pointing to one day as we enter into the grave ourselves, we'll come forth happily, alive and well again, because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But tonight, I want to make another application. I hope it'll be, obviously, a motivational application. Even though Elisha was dead and on the other side, he was still affecting those in this life. Even though Elisha was dead and on the other side, he was still affecting those in this life. I mean, Elisha was gone now, but he left his bones behind. So endued with power, so endued with power was this unusual man that even in death, his bones themselves brought life. Life to a lifeless body. Well, that's power, isn't it? So tonight I want to consider that thought. I want to leave my bones behind. And I want those bones to revive the lifeless. Tonight I want to touch on just two simple thoughts. I want to leave a memory that inspires others to live for God. And I want to leave a legacy that reaches others for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership tonight. May we be inspired and motivated tonight by this simple thought. We don't have much time tonight, Lord, but help us to use what time we have very wisely. Lord, may it honor you. In Christ's name, amen. Even as Elisha's bones were left behind, and although he was dead and although he was gone, amazingly and miraculously, Those bones brought forth life. Boy, I want to leave some bones behind that breed life long after I'm gone. I want to leave a memory that inspires others to live for God. You know, I'm intrigued with the life and ministry of Dallas Billington Sr., a man of God who began the great Akron Baptist Temple and was used of God to build the largest Sunday school in the world at the time. Approximately 10,000 in Sunday school is what I've read. His ministry spanned four decades until his life ended in 1972. When I meet somebody who served with Dallas Billington or served in his ministry at any point, I mean, it actually was there when he was pastor. I always ask them one of two questions. 
I'll ask them this one. I may say, what one attribute or characteristic about Dallas Billington stands out in your mind more than any other? Or I'll ask them, what made Dallas Billington such a great man of God in your mind? Inevitably, the answers are almost identical. No matter what I or how I ask the question, the responses are the same. Almost always they will say, his compassion for people and souls. It always has something to do with his compassion toward people and the souls of mankind. Is it any wonder that long after Dallas Billington has gone on before, long after his life has ended on this earth, that the repercussions of that life still rumble? Is it any wonder that there are churches like Cleveland Baptist and Maslin Baptist that are still alive and well and still reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That man left his bones behind. And every time someone comes along and brushes up against them, they're revived and made alive again. I've taken the time to go to the very place where they tell me his pulpit once sat, and there on my face before God, I've asked for a double portion. I'm inspired by his faith. I am encouraged by his ministry. I've often looked over his book, God is Real, and my heart would only and simply burn. That man left his bones behind. He may not be on earth today, but his bones have been left behind. And I came along and brushed up against him at some point, and I've been revived, encouraged, and moved. His memory encourages me. I too want to leave a memory that inspires others to live for God. Growing up, I had the privilege of meeting my great-grandparents on my mom's side and spending some time in their home. Not a lot of time, just a few times I had a chance to meet them, stay with them. And I was just a young teen when they passed away, but the testimony of their faith has been something that has encouraged me along the way. I think about them. They weren't much to look at in the sense that they were small and kind of stout, both of them. They almost looked identical. With the exception of one wearing a dress and the other wearing a suit, I... Don't know if I could have told them apart, really, but I do know for a fact that they were godly men and women. Not only did the testimony, their testimony, make a difference in my mom's life, but it made a difference in my life as I heard him talk about Jesus Christ, as I listened to his words. I, I was amazed uh, of the faith that he and her possessed. Oh, I didn't really have a lot of contact with them, but every once in a while... Every once in a while, I brush up against those memories, and I'm encouraged. I'm revived. I wonder, what kind of memories will you leave behind? When people think of you, and long after you're gone, will the bones of those memories bring back good feelings? Will they ultimately inspire others to live for Jesus Christ? Will they keep people on the firing line, or will they send them R&R to the back? I want God's people to be encouraged by my memory. I want my bones to live on. 
I want the power of God to work through my memory. And God wants your memory to be the same. Not only do I want my memory, excuse me, leave a memory that inspires others to live for God, but I want to leave a legacy that reaches others for Jesus Christ. Yes, a memory, but also a legacy that reaches others for Jesus Christ. How's that to be accomplished? Well, I want to share just three simple things. First of all, I want to leave a legacy by investing my time. I believe tonight that it is imperative that we reproduce ourselves in others. That cannot happen unless we invest time in others. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Notice that your fruit should remain. You know, we're all bent out of shape about we knock on doors and where's all the souls and where are those that we've led to Jesus Christ? That person made a profession of faith. Where are they tonight? Well, let me ask you something. Where's that person that you've invested your life in that you're going to implant yourself that you're going to ultimately leave behind one day to continue to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ after you're dead and gone? Does it have to be that soul you led to Christ last week? No, there's somebody in this room that needs somebody to invest in their life, to take them through discipleship, to invest in their life, to teach them how to lead a soul to Christ, to give them the tools and the, the ability to reach others effectively. We've got to reproduce ourselves. Yes, you need to win people to Christ. Go out and win someone. But there are others that have been one that need to be taught and trained as well. I want to leave a legacy by investing my time. There's nothing easy about giving ourselves to others or people. People will disappoint us, discourage us, let us down all the time. I don't care how good and how godly they may act or appear to be, you are still dealing with flesh. But it is not my job to go ahead and and make a determination as to whether or not I will invest. No, I have to invest. It's up to God who will ultimately take root. Investing time. I believe every one of us need to win and disciple somebody. We need to make an investment in the lives of others. I want to leave a legacy that long after I'm gone... Long after I've left this earth, the bones will still remain. And when that lost man or that lost woman, that lifeless body touches, just, just brushes up against those bones, they come to life and are revived. Because of the time spent. Not only by investing my time, but by investing my talent. You know, if I can teach someone to sing, preach, win souls, administrate, organize, teach, or anything else that will benefit the cause of Christ, I want to do it. I want to do that because long after I'm gone, I want souls coming to Jesus Christ. I want lives being transformed and changed by the power of the Word of God. 
Long after I'm gone, I want to believe that my investment, giving my talents to God in my lifetime, will continue to produce souls in the future. How sad is it to think that there are men or women of God who possess a talent, a skill, an ability, and never share it with others in this house. Keep it to themselves. Hide it under their jacket or in their purse. Never once giving it for fear of having to give their time. Being responsible for others. It's an amazing thing in our world today that we used to talk about the natural love of a mom. It's amazing, isn't it? How many mothers don't want anything to do with their kids. Isn't that a sad truth today? What's happened to our culture and our society? But may I say equally sad is the fact of God's people not willing to invest in their family. Oh, I could sing, but I just don't want to. Oh, I could play a piano, but I just don't want to. Oh, I could be in the choir, but it just I don't want to have to get here an hour before church starts. Oh, I could teach Sunday school. I mean, I have a degree in teaching from the university of so-and-so. But then again, I don't want to have to be faithful to God's house. And I don't want to have to be faithful out with soul winning. And I don't want to have to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'll just keep that talent to myself because I don't want to make that kind of commitment. See, I may be gone, but my bones will still be bringing life to those who come into contact with them. I want to invest every talent I got. I won't be here forever. But I can leave some bones behind. Not only investing my time, investing my talent, but let's get down to it now. Investing my treasures. Let's deal with it now. Now it's going to get bloody and ugly. I think about Brother Russell Anderson. I mean, he's helped start at least four Bible colleges in his lifetime. He's reached millions of souls through his missions giving. Millions and millions of dollars he's given to God's work. Someone says, well, if I had his millions, I'd give millions too. No, you wouldn't, or you'd probably have them. Let me ask you something. How many thousands have you given? He made millions and gave millions. You make thousands. How many thousands do you give? Oh, we're just kidding ourselves. We're playing a game with God. Try to pretend we're something we're not. I'm going to tell you something. God can trust Russell Anderson with the millions. That's why he's got them. I believe God could entrust some of us with more if he could trust us with them. And sometimes God just doesn't want us to have a whole lot just to be a testimony of His grace. But I'm going to tell you something. Just because you don't make much doesn't mean you can't give much. I loved what Brother Ankrum said. He said, God's not as concerned about what you give as He is about how much is left. I like that one. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, I told you it's going to get bloody. I know some of you getting nervous already, like starting to want to hit the road. Oh man, he's going to talk about money. Yes, I am. 
I don't ever talk about it, but here we are. Praise the Lord, I'm going to talk about it. Because I'm going to tell you something. I want to leave some bones behind. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Long after Russell Anderson's gone, I'm going to tell you, his bones are going to be bringing life to dead souls. All as a result of his giving. Around this country, young men and young ladies will go into a Bible college and learn how to lead others to Christ. And because of his investment, his millions given to the work of God, there'll be millions of souls won to Christ. People will be brushing up against those bones over there in Africa and over in, uh, over in the Philippines and down in, 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 in uh, uh, Akron and around the world probably. Everywhere you can turn. Bible college grads scour the country starting churches and winning others to Christ. I think of the opportunities that each of us possesses. I mean, possesses to invest financially. With our missions giving, our building fund, we're leaving a legacy that will reach others for Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know about this building program, preacher. I think we're in a bad strait. I really believe we're in a bad economy and it's a tough time. I'm afraid we're going to go under. Praise God for your faith. With faith like that, you're right, we're going under. We're going under. Thank you. Thank you for killing the vision. Thank you for destroying the plan and the work of God. Thank you for discouraging the brethren. We should call you Reuben, Manasseh, and a half, or excuse me, uh, um, what were the three tribes again? My, my half tribe, Manasseh, what was it? Reuben, Benjamin, no. Gad. Reuben and half tribe, Manasseh, right? Those three. Remember they stayed on the other side, Jordan, and never crossed over? Remember those two and a half tribes? You know what they said? They said, this side looks just fine. We don't need to go across Jordan. This is good. This is good enough. Right where we're at. You know what Moses told him? He said, you know what? There was a group just like you the last time we came to this place. And that group discouraged the hearts of the brethren. Kept them from entering into the promised land because of their negativity and their criticism. I'm going to tell you something he said to them. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you stay on this side, Jordan. But you're going to pick up a sword and you're going to pick up a spear. And you're going to go on the other side and you're going to keep fighting until we possess the land. Then you can go back to your sheepfolds. Then you can go back and build your homes. Then you can go back to your families. But until then, you come along for the ride. Don't you discourage the hearts of your brethren. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't you be that one that discourages the hearts of the brethren. You're out of the will of God if you are. I don't care what you think. You're out of the will of God. Investing in the treasures. You say, that economy's horrible though. Things just don't look good. I'll guarantee you if God's people would get on board with this thing. I mean this. I believe the money's already here. I don't even think we need to sell a building. There are hundreds of thousands of dollars that we could come up with if we truly wanted to leave some bones behind. I think we're a little bit short-sighted around here. I think we can only see this far. We see today. God's people need to see tomorrow. He said, but God told us to live for today. Yeah, but he didn't tell you to give like you're giving for this today. He told you to give for tomorrow. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I want to leave a legacy. 
I'm going to tell you, when I die, my kids better figure it out right now. They ain't getting everything. If there's anything left, it's going to God's work. You say, what are you talking about? If, if they can't live on their own after what I've invested in them and after what I've given them, then I got, they got problems. Much worse than me. I could give them $50,000 each and they wouldn't have a thing in the next four months. They'd all spend it and blow it anyway. Listen, I'm going to leave a legacy with my treasures. You do what you want with yours, but I'm leaving a legacy. I want those bones long after I'm gone to bring life to somebody. Man, I'll tell you, I hope I can give enough to build a new wing on the buildings up here. And they call it the O'Donnell Wing. I'd be a, hey, listen, you, want, hey, you give us two hundred fifty or 300000 we'll go build a gymnasium the day we walk up there. And we'll put our bus ministry in there. We'll make it nice. You say, we don't have room for that? In two years, we'll need it anyway. We might as well get started on it. You say, wow, there we go again, talking about money. Yes, I'm talking about money. I'm talking about leaving a legacy. I'm talking about leaving some bones behind that one day when people come along, they're, they're going to be revived. Listen, I don't want my life to end when I stop taking breaths. I want it to continue to live on long after I'm gone. God impressed upon my heart just a short time ago. He made this clear to me. He said, what kind of legacy are you going to leave when you're gone? Hey, you know, as you get older, you start to think about that. When you're 20 and 30, sometimes you feel like you've got a whole lifetime ahead. But as you begin to, I think, in the last few years, the last five years of my life, I've been starting to think about what I'm going to leave behind because I may not be here much longer. There's no guarantee I'm going to live as long as my parents. There's no guarantee I've got 10 years. But let me tell you, if I live 10 more years and I have a 10-year plan that I'm putting together, I honestly want God to do something that will live on long after I'm gone. I want something to do with missions that will continue to live on as a direct result of my investment. I want something in television and radio that will long outlive me. And long after I'm gone, people's lives will be touched and reached. I want something to happen in this church that will ultimately provide and produce longevity that will keep the doors open and hot preaching in the pulpit and souls being saved and buses running long after I'm gone. I want a Bible college that's still producing men and women for Jesus Christ that are going out and reaching others with the gospel, beginning churches and going to the mission field and into evangelism. I want God to do something miraculous in and through my life. I want those bones. I want those bones to be left behind. And when someone comes along and brushes up against them, I want life to be breathed into their life. You're going to leave any bones behind. And if you do, will they have any power to revive the lifeless? What kind of memory will you leave? Will it inspire? Will it motivate? Will it move others to Christ? To a relationship with the Lord? A closer walk? What what kind of legacy will you leave for reaching others with the gospel? Will you leave a soul behind that you've invested in that will ultimately win others and reproduce themselves and others? I mean, will you you teach and train someone a skill or a talent or an ability that God has given you and pass it on so that long after you're gone, 
Others are still growing in Christ and being reached as a result of that gift and that talent. What about those treasures? Will those treasures die in the grave with you? Will you bury them with you? Will you leave them to the world? Will you invest them in eternity? Leaving some bones behind. I'd love, like I said, to be able to see a whole bus ministry wing put on. Just from what I give when I die. If God blesses me with money, I promise you it will go to God. I love to think 10 years down the road, after I'm dead and gone, someone says, who's that guy? Who's, who was he? Oh, he was just a preacher that started Community Baptist Temple. and He invested in this ministry by giving his finances. The building you're walking into was purchased with his giving. I'd like that. Not so I can be elevated. Some of you think that's what I'm talking about. That shows you how filthy our minds are. But that so hundreds and thousands of youngsters can be influenced with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Harold B. Seitler Auditorium sits underneath Dr. Bobby Robertson's auditorium. Every year, every week, youngsters, children of all ages gather in that auditorium. They're reminded of that great man of God. His legacy lives on. See, his life influenced Dr. Robertson. And now, his life influences all those that Dr. Robertson Robertson reaches. You know, don't you want to invest your life, your time, your talents, and your treasures into leaving some bones? (laughs) They took that body. They were carrying it along, and here come the Moabites. Man, we got to get out of here. They threw that body into the sepulcher of Elijah. It just... Just touch, just slid up against those bones and just like that life came into that lifeless body. Long after Elisha was dead, his bones were still bringing life. Man, I want God to use what I leave behind to continue to bring life to others. Father, we come to you. I ask, Lord, you'd help us tonight. Lord, may we not be so earthly-minded that we cannot invest our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures in heavenly things. Lord, tonight, I'd like to see men and women make some decisions to decide to give their time, their talent, their treasures, you. Father, may we leave a memory and a legacy that will inspire and move and motivate others and even revive others that are dead in sin. Help us, Lord, we pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.
Every head bowed as the pianist plays. Maybe in our midst there's a potential Russell Anderson. Maybe in our midst there's a potential R.G. Lee. Maybe a D.L. Moody. Maybe there's a potential Harold Seitler. Let's face it. What we need more than anything are just good mommies and daddies, grandmas and grandpas who leave a godly legacy, a godly memory. It starts in our homes, starts with our lives, and then we can influence others. If there is truly an eternity, and we believe there is tonight, or we wouldn't be here. Then long after we're gone, there'll be others that still need to find it. My ministry today is wherever God puts me. Today at lunch, I was talking to Brother Kavanaugh's brother, and I told him, if God moved me today, I'd leave in a minute. I'll do whatever God tells me to do. I don't do this for money. I don't do this for fame. There are preachers that preach around the country whose names are well-known. I couldn't tell you the last time somebody invited me to speak out. That doesn't bother me a bit. There's no better place in this world to speak than right at the pulpit of Community Baptist Temple. This is where God put me. I don't need the accolades of men. What I want is the favor of God. And one day when I die, I want to leave a legacy and a memory that revives the lifeless. And I believe tonight there's a number of you, if not all of you, that want to do the same. Let's spend our lives for others. Our time, our talents, our treasures. Leaving a memory and a legacy that will ultimately revive others long after we're gone.